Civil War Talk Radio. We're talking with Dan Weinberg at the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop. But it's not just about Abraham Lincoln. We'll find out more what's in the store when we come back on Civil War Talk Radio. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpets cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. It's the one level playing field in business, the Internet. It's where an artisan working out of a small shop can look bigger than a multinational corporation. But to achieve this level of visibility, your company's website needs a developer who knows the net and how to make it work. Your company needs Apsio. Apsio's success comes from producing websites that reflect the attitudes and uniqueness of their respective organizations. Make a great first impression on the web. Choose Apsio, A-P-S-Y-O. For more info, visit www.apsio.com. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. With me today is Dan Weinberg of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop in Chicago. Dan, we were talking a minute ago about... uh, a previously unknown letter by Abraham Lincoln, truly a, an incredible find in the 21st century, mm-hmm. which uh, came into your shop uh, and which expressed Lincoln's views in 1859 on the Republican Party's anti-slavery position. Uh, that's an important letter because, it, among other things, it contradicts uh, the arguments of people like Lerone Bennett, who say Lincoln was not, pri- not personally opposed to slavery. It was only a public position. Here we have a private letter saying uh, quite the opposite. Uh, Very true, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. This is an answer, and an early answer, to people like Mr. Bennett, who have said that Lincoln really was a racist. Well, the whole time, of course, was a time of racism, and but there were uh, those who were trying to strive above that. And Lincoln, I thought, always in his heart uh, felt that uh, slavery was wrong, and I think he got that actually from his father, although we're going off our area here. But... Uh, in this letter, he really he's stating what the Republican Party was. That the moderates in the party were trying to have the party abandon the slavery issue and to concentrate on, as he says, tariffs and extravagances, uh, which he says were the the old issues which uh, beat the Whig Party out of existence. And he continues on that the, the party is gaining more Democrats than they're losing Whigs over that slavery issue. And uh, he even uses the word idiotic to, he's, for the only time in the lexicon he's ever used that, uh, that uh, it's idiotic to think otherwise. Because he says that slavery is the living issue of the day and that they need a candidate who would declare slavery a wrong and do something about it. Well, that, that is really a fascinating letter. Uh, there are other 
people who, who write negative things about Lincoln today, uh, Thomas DiLorenzo comes to mind, uh, who, who accused Lincoln of being secretly interested in the tariff above all and not interested in slavery. And here again you find a private letter written uh, arguing the political opposite of that position, that exactly. tariff is not a valid political position for the party to be taking in 18. Well, because they coalesced, that's what they came together about, was to stop the nationalization and spread of slavery. And it's, that's a fascinating piece. What um, I'm sure you're asked this uh, on, on occasion. In all your time at the shop, what is the most interesting piece that has come across uh, your desk? Boy, it's a t it is a tough thing, really, because especially when this letter all of a sudden comes up. and how I, It's like hard to top that letter. I, I, I've seen a facsimile of the letter you were kind enough to show me at one point, and it it is really uh, dramatic to find a, a substantial piece of... of you know, that's what I've asked many times. Uh, will a major piece of Lincolniana surface? And I usually used to say, probably not, because, you know, everyone knows Lincoln. It's been a while now, and things like this have come up. And then here's one that contradicts that whole argument. On the other hand, um, something that's on my wall now that I've had for some years uh, is pretty dramatic to me. And it's an, an endorsement that Lincoln wrote on the back of a letter. The letter's gone. It was just clipped off. But he misspelled his name. It became okay. Lincoln. And it reminds me that uh, he was human and uh, that it, it brings me a bit closer to him since I've done that before. Uh, Lincoln did that. So it reminds me that he, this man we put on the pedestal was really a human being and maybe more remarkable because of that as well. Now, uh, a question that would come to mind there would be maybe uh, it was a, the crude work of a forger who couldn't quite spell Lincoln correctly. <laughs> yes, uh, although he, he did it again underneath. He just crossed it out and did it again. I got it right. But uh, it's, you know, that goes into another area, forgeries and how one detects those things. But this uh, seems to me to be a correct and authentic piece. Well, when you get something, and, and again, that's a question I think it would leap to people's minds. When you find this letter to Senator Corwin, and it just dramatically uh, introduces a new piece of evidence into the, the Lincoln story, uh, where did you find it? How could it stay hidden all this time? How do you know it's not fake? Well, that's a good, very great question, and I was asked that by the gentleman who's buying this. Uh, really, those who have seen Lincoln letters and writing and paper and ink for years, I mean, one looks at it and boom, it's correct. I mean, just no way it is not. But it's done by paper, which usually I actually give to the forgers. It was you know, so easy to get paper from the day. The ink, which we really can't, we can say it might be from the period or near the period. We can't say, though, that it was Lincoln, and that comes down to handwriting, which is not as scientific as one might like. Uh, provenance always helps, and in this case, it's perfect since it comes down through the Corwin family. So explain provenance for our, our, our non-collecting friends. Well, provenance is the history of any particular item. Where did it come from? How, whose hands did it come through? Do we have written letters that say this is what it is and how I obtained it, and then I pass it down to the next generation and it comes to us? So it's the history of a piece. And this, this has uh, a very strong, clear provenance going back to the original sender. Exactly it. And the, the uh, letter to Lincoln and the letter uh, 
responding to this one by Corwin are both in the Library of Congress, who are just missing this crucial letter in between from Lincoln. So the provenance is perfect. And also there were other supporting documents uh, with Corwin and Lincoln's name on it that the family had because Corwin had been uh, an envoy for Lincoln during the presidential years to Mexico on more than one occasion. So there were commissions for him to go down. There was an envoy signed by Lincoln as well in there. Now, we've been talking a lot about Lincoln materials, and it is the Abraham Lincoln bookshop, but you also have a lot of Civil War uh, material as well. Isn't that right? That's true. And uh, maybe the thing that I've loved the most, you asked a question about Lincoln before, and uh, for Civil War, I think the one artifact I've had that I've uh, enjoyed the most, and I had it twice, was a uh, small table, a writing table, from inside the Appomattox Courthouse. It had actually gone to Gideon Wells, here's Provenance, and it came down to the Wells family until the grandson sold it. He had, as a kid, kept a fish tank on it. Oh. <laughs> and you could see some of the water that had sloshed down on it. But it was a beautiful little writing table that Grant's aide, Eli Parker, had been uh, writing notes on when Lee and Grant were in the room uh, conversing. So this is actually from, from the McLean house where the surrender took place? Exactly. There were three tables in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people stripped the room because they were souvenir collectors, just like we are today. No different. And uh, they, they were autograph collectors, a big collecting era of that day to collect autographs. And uh, they stripped the room. Uh, General Ord got the actual surrender table for 40 bucks, And that's now in the Chicago Historical Society. The... Uh, the the table that Grant wrote out the surrender terms on was purchased by uh, Sheridan, Phil Sheridan, right on the spot for 20 bucks, And he gave it to Custer to give to his wife, saying that it, her husband had done more to stop the Civil War than anyone else, something like this. And many soldiers wrote and saw uh, about Custer riding off with his table on his back. And then the third one that I was able to get a hold of uh, went to another collector, Gideon Wells, Secretary of the Navy. And you said you had it twice. It, it, well, I sold it to a gentleman, and I and when he passed, I got his estate, and uh, then I sold it to someone else after that. And oh. each time it's in private hands still. So that table's out there. The others, uh, one's in Chicago Historical Society. What happened to the Custer table? Do you it's know? in the Smithsonian. Well, that's. Uh, high company, certainly. Yes, yes, it's, a, it's an image. And the wonderful thing about these things, about having an artifact like this, when I had it in the shop, I'd wait till everyone left for the day, and I'd turn on the lights a little bit, and I'd sit there, and ghosts would arise around that table. Very exciting to have these things. But it is. It's uh, the in the museum biz, they call it the associative value. <laughs> uh, when you have an artifact that's associated with some famous person or event. There's no way you can get closer uh, to that, that individual or that moment in time exactly. than to be in contact with the same physical thing that they once held or wore or, or used. And you were in a very uh, great area for that, to be inside a museum, be able to do that. It's, it must have been a pleasure. It, it, it's uh, it, it's un, unparalleled. The, the museum I formerly worked at, the Lincoln Museum uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, at one point purchased the inkwell that Lincoln used to sign the Emancipation Proclamation, mm -hmm. the final version in January of 1863. And to hold that item in one's hand, uh, for, to, to be in contact with it, really was uh, 
I don't want to say a mystical experience, uh, but it, it it, it brought one uh, connection to uh, to the past that is very hard to duplicate in other ways. Yeah, it's very true. I, uh, another piece that I just thought of in the Civil War field that I had was interesting because all of these things have stories. All these artifacts, letters, documents, prints, bronzes, whatever it is, it has a story behind it. It was made by humans for human purposes. And to get to those stories is what it's about. Otherwise, it's just a piece of metal or paper and ink. So it's the stories behind them that one has to research out and bring them alive. One that uh, I just popped into my mind was uh, General Buckner, Simon Bolivar Buckner. He had been Grant's bunkmate down in the Mexican War, and he found himself at Fort Donelson when Grant was investing it. And uh, he, was, uh, he had to surrender the fort up to Grant, his old friend. And here he is in the middle of Victorian days, and... He writes this beautiful flowery letter, which I once had, that he's asking for the terms of surrender and how should he surrender his sword and all of this. And Grant, of course, turned around and said, well, I intend to move upon your fort immediately. This is unconditional surrender. And uh, Buckner became very angry about that because here he had thought he was doing this correctly and nicely, and Grant was acting uh, like the 20th century (laughs) instead of the 19th. And uh, he didn't speak to Grant for years, although later he was one of the last people to see him before he died up in Albany in New York, and uh, he was actually one of the pallbearers as well. But this letter brings all of that out, and that's what one has to look for when an artifact comes by. Well, that, that is a great story. The, uh, uh, the unconditional surrender story is, of course, uh, one most, most listeners know, but to, to have in your hand the letter Buckner wrote requesting the terms and to, to get a sense of his state of mind from the handwriting, from the letter itself, uh, is, is something you can't easily duplicate. True. Um, anything uh, uh, of particular interest in the shop uh, in the last year or two? Uh, Besides the letter, the, I'll tell you, I have something on the wall right now which is just spectacular. First time I've had something like this, uh, an oil painting of Lincoln from life. And for the first time, I can actually see the eyes, the color of the eyes as they really were. Because this is the man, the portrait artist, John C. Wolfe, who had been uh, actually in Springfield just a block away. His gallery was just a block away from Lincoln's law office. Must have seen him a number of times. And uh, he, he has a few, this gorgeous painting oil that uh, he produced in June of 1860. So there's one that has come by that's kind of interesting. And that's uh, it's during the presidential campaign. Exactly, because at that time, when he was after he was nominated as a Republican Party head for the 1860 campaign, um, numbers of portrait artists and photographers descended upon Springfield, and they took his picture and they made oils and sketches, and this was one of those. So Lincoln followed the. Uh the tradition of the day that the presidential candidate was not supposed to actively campaign for himself, but he was willing to pose for paintings and photographs and let his image do the talking. Well, yes, exactly. He was not uh, foolish among uh, uh, politics. He knew that he had to do something 
to help help out. He knew that people wanted to see what the image was, and the only way they could do that, of course, was oil paintings or a photograph that might be sold, but was and sometimes used, as you know, in all the campaign paraphernalia, but but had to be put into lithographs and woodcuts for the newspapers because the technology had not caught up with photography as yet. But so he campaigned in that regard positively. So, so you have an oil painting, a painting done from life of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, you mentioned the the surrender, one of the surrender tables from the McLean farmhouse. Now, another thing, I just had this. This, yeah. this came in and actually went out on the first call. Didn't even have uh, enough time to enjoy it and show it off. Um, a more modern piece, but fascinating nonetheless. A, there's a two-volume work on the history of the White House uh, by William Seal, and uh, this is a good 12-year-old. Oh, yeah, maybe a little bit more uh, publication. Uh, and it's the work on the subject. But uh, a gentleman I know here in Chicago uh, who once had the only newspaper that said Dewey defeats Truman that was signed by both Truman and Dewey, and I had that some years ago and sold it. Uh, but he also had uh, the, the wherewithal to be able to get this book to seven presidents, and nine first ladies, and they all signed this book on one page. Wow. So there's Jacqueline Kennedy and Lady Bird. Their husbands are already dead by the time the book came out. And then every single president and first lady since, all on this one page. It just uh, blows you away when you see all that. But all of them held this book. And even though it's modern presidents, we're not talking about Lincoln here, uh, nonetheless, uh, it's, it's uh, fascinating. No, it's interesting, uh, the idea of spanning seven uh, presidencies. It, it, sometimes these things remind you how short uh, our country's history really is. That, uh, and how quickly time goes by. It, it does. Was it Henry Adams who uh, said he, who was somebody who knew John Adams, uh, or John Quincy Adams, and also uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, the one lifetime? Yes, that's right. That's right. I remember that story. A good bit about uh, Lincoln and some high-end items. Uh, we're going to take a break and come back on Civil War Talk Radio with Dan Weinberg and talk more about uh, starting one's own uh, Civil War collection. This is Jerry Prokopovich on Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 